This is the Music Buzz Podcast. Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz Podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dan Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hey, Andy. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good. And also Hugh right. Syme. Hey, Hugh. How's it going? Very well, thank you, Andrew. And you? I'm great. Thank you. Today, we're joined by Robin Wilson, no relation to me. Robin's a lead singer, guitar player, also plays other instruments for the Jim Blossoms, one of the 90s' greatest hit-making bands, whose breakthrough album, New Miserable Experience, was released 30 years ago, which still blows my mind. He's the voice on many of the band's biggest hits and songwriter as well on songs such as Allison Road and High Wire, among others. Um, he's been a part of the uh, Gas Giants, Long Shadows, and others, and he's also stepped in and sang with the Smithereens as well in recent years uh, since Damn, uh, yes. pa- passed away. Yeah, the Jim Blossoms are an endearing, melodic song uh, band. They've stood the test of time. I've seen them live and uh, hosted them many times myself. Dane and his band have opened for them as well. And so we're thrilled to welcome to the Music Buzz podcast, uh, Robin Wilson. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everybody. Nice to see you. Robin, it's great to have you here, man. It's an honor. Thank you, Dane. Like Andy was saying, uh, the Dane Clark Band, we opened for you uh, a couple years ago in Fort Wayne at the Sweetwater Pavilion, an outdoor venue there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool place. And then a few years before that, outside in downtown Indianapolis, before a Colts event of some kind. That's maybe seven or eight years ago. Yep. Okay. I stuck around and, and I heard you guys, man, and both times you guys sounded great. Well, we try not to suck. That's our corporate slogan. That's a good slogan. Yeah. It's a good baseline to shoot for. I've always thought you guys is like a rock and power pop band at its finest. And I was especially impressed with your voice. Sounds just like it does on the records. Pitch is great. And I love the fact that you guys play a lot of songs that have brisk tempos. Come on now. (laughs) You guys always kept my energy. Part of it was just the band sounded great, but the songs are energetic. Totally. I was thinking about you guys, too. It's like... We, had, we actually talked to Kenny Jones yesterday from The Faces and The Who, and I made a comment about Eminence Front being an amazing song to listen to in the car. But I've always thought the Jim Blossom songs are the same. You know, it's just like yeah. there's something about your songs that just honestly probably get people speeding tickets, but there's something great, and they're great in the car. <laughs> That's great. And great live, too. Baby. Thank you all. Very humbling. Push that pedal down just a little bit further. That's right. Yeah. Very good. I mean, it's all very upbeat, and it's a little bit like Kodachrome, which is all about death, (laughs) basically mortality, even though it's a beautiful song by Paul Simon. But I look at your titles like Hey Jealousy and Found Out About You, which is all kind of a little bit like Phil Collins' face value, you know, a little bit of a personal experience coming through there, unless you write in the third person, I don't know. But all that upbeat music that is still having topics like Hey Jealousy and Found Out About You, I find really intriguing you obviously like contrast because 
you know, uh, congratulations, sorry, which is a beautiful pairing. New miserable experience, you know. It sounds like an upbeat kind of place in your life, even though you're saying miserable. So tell me a little bit about that. Tell me how you uh, can write so dark and so, not morosely. I mean, the lyrics are definitely um, about personal experience, but then you keep it upbeat at the same time. How does that work? The name itself, I think, uh, Jim Blossoms sort of sets the tone. You know, it, it sounds really pretty, but it represents something that's really quite ugly and disgusting. And perhaps that's where it all started. But uh, yeah. as a songwriter, um, I don't want to write corny songs. No, you don't. And so, you know, I tend to veer towards darker themes and whatnot, but it comes, it comes naturally. It's not like any of us in the band ever sat down and decided this is what we're going to do. It just happened in, a, in an organic way. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of beauty in melancholy. I mean, uh, there's so many bands that do it well. Pink Floyd have got a wonderfully melancholic, you know, sound. And sure. Have- uh, the Smiths. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And what I liked about, found out about you guys, and I didn't really realize it, to be honest with you, until I dug kind of deep, is how many different guys are writing the tunes and a lot of your tunes i i didn't i didn't know who'd written what but i found out that most of my favorite ones i mean you know hey jealousy found out about you those are ones that we all know they're great tunes but a lot of the other ones that i really knew and liked the most were tunes that you had written or co-written day job follow you down which are both rockers but then as long as it matters which is a slower tune that's one of my favorites, man. Those gorgeous background vocals. Fantastic mm-hmm. on that song. Thank you. Really beautiful. Thank you. Well, we, we do try to, uh, you know, we care about the songwriting. And uh, as I said, we don't really overthink it. We, do, we just do what comes naturally to us, you know, inspired by our inspirations, uh, you know, our heroes. Uh, we stand upon the shoulders of giants. And I certainly spend a lot of my time, uh, you know, uh, trying to be Tom Petty or Michael Stipe, you know, and um, here's what I heard. And it was actually kind of uncanny to me. I'm a huge big star fan. I discovered them when that first record came out when I was like 11 years old. Sweet. And you sound like Alex Chilton in about 1972. It's uncannily big star-like mm. to me. Allison Road, especially. Uh, it's like, yeah. man, that sounds like Alex could have done that. You know, that's fine company to be put in, and certainly, Big Star had a had a pretty big mark on uh, on me as a as a songwriter and as a singer. You know, I mean, we were in the eighties. We were all listening to the Replacements. That that was sure. sort of our touchstone as a as a rock band. And as a 20-year-old, you know, we were all listening to The Replacements. And so when Pleased to Meet Me was released, they had that fantastic song right at the top of the record. Alex Chilton. Alex Chilton. And so we all wanted to find out more about Big Star. And Mm. so so right around uh, 87, uh, me and all my friends, we were all working in record stores and we were all aspiring rock and rollers. And so we all immediately got into Big Star starting then. And uh, obviously, the, you know, those records are so incredible. And no question. Uh, it, had a, it had a huge impression on all of us. And then uh, a few years later, we, we got signed to A&M Records. We were tasked with having to pick out a producer. And so we were, we were throwing out names 
you know, like Ed Stasium and Don Dixon and, you know, guys like that. And then uh, John Hampton had already been working with our label, A&M Records, and they were working with another band on A&M called Tora Tora. And John remixed one of our songs for a movie soundtrack or a compilation. And so we were looking for a producer and we're sort of, you know, we're talking about these different guys. But then when uh, our guitar player, Jesse, said to me, John Hampton is one of the candidates. He did. He remixed one of the tunes and he's the guy who recorded uh, Please to Meet Me. And he also did the Tommy Keen record uh, based on Happy Times. And this is the studio where Big Star recorded all of their albums. And I was oh, like, it. oh, cool. That's the guy. I'm like, uh, that, that's what we need to do. There's no, we don't need to look any further. As soon as the, that, that trifecta of connections was made, uh, that John had worked with the replacements and Tommy Keen, and this was the home of Big Star. I'm like, that's where we need to go. That's what we should be a part of. And uh, so we've made, uh, since then, we've made four records at Ardent. And the place has become a big part of our lives. John Hampton became a, a very central figure in our lives. And to participate in that legacy of music uh, is, is just an immense source of pride for me. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Did you meet John Fry ever when he was still living? Oh, sure. Yeah, wow. a bunch of times. You know, I've, I've probably spent almost a total of uh, probably at least eight months of my life recording uh, records at Ardent. Wow. You know, it, it's such a huge place in my brain. And uh, it was inspiration for me to build my own studio, which John Hampton helped me flesh out and helped me pick the gear for. And I had John come out to Phoenix, uh, or actually Tempe, and we re- you mentioned that I was in a band called Gas Giants. And John recorded, uh, we did the basic tracks at my studio in Tempe with John Hampton, and then we went back to Memphis, and we spent about another three weeks doing overdubs and, and mixing at Arden. And uh, as I say, it, it just a, such a huge, looming presence in my life. Uh, John Hampton, John Fry, Jody Stevens, uh, Memphis, Tennessee, um, Arden Studios. It's uh, you know, it's a very important part of my lifetime. I felt like I could feel something like that when I was listening to that music. That's man. cool. It's, mm-hmm. it's weird how that that stuff can come across sometimes. You know. Yeah, I'm always curious with singers if you started off wanting voice as your your way of expressing yourself, or if you started off on piano or guitar. I started out uh, wanting to be a rock singer when I was eight years old. Uh, we used to stay up on Friday nights to see the midnight special and, uh, the Bohemian Rhapsody video by Queen debuted, uh, in the United States on midnight special. And that was, that was the moment in my life where everything changed. And I knew then at the age of eight years old in the third grade, that is what I want to do. I want to be a rock singer. And I have been on this this path ever since. And so to commemorate that, I have the opening line of Bohemian Rhapsody uh, tattoo <laughs> here. Nice. On my arms. Most of my tattoos are lyrics, but that was really the first one I got. And, you know, it was that was the moment where everything changed for me. And I started down this path 
and you know went from queen I, and then i was listening to kiss and then in high school uh went through a country phase when urban cowboy yeah. came oh, sure. out me and my friends all started we started chewing tobacco and listening to country music so i went through a, <laughs> a really great country phase and then you know then i went all new wave and you know i was listening to you know oingo boingo and duran duran and uh, yeah. you know depeche mode and then as uh, when i was 19 years old i got a job at tower records mm. in tempe okay. and you're you're exposed to so much music when you're working at a record store especially it in that in those days in the mm -hmm. in the 80s and there was so much exciting music happening in in those days and sure. uh, you know so it was you know began to really uh, listen to things like rem and the replacements and the, the smiths and the smithereens and uh you know then again there was just so much incredible music happening the alternative revolution begins with groups like uh, the pixies and jane's addiction and just such a fun exciting time but you know through all of that i was mostly drawn to like straight ahead power pop like cheap trick mm, and true. yeah oh yeah tommy keen and tom petty you know those that that's always sort of been the the core foundation of of my musical taste and sure i've, I've spent a lot of time listening to metal and new wave and jazz and whatnot but you know the core of what i do you could probably trace it back to yeah cheap trick and tom petty when you write music and or you co-write music obviously your contribution is probably melody and and where the song's heading melodically speaking do you ever sit down, though, when you're writing your own music for yourself on any instrument? If, have you got that under your belt? Sure. Well, I play guitar and, okay. uh, you know, I, and I did I play a little bit of drums. Usually I have ideas for a lyric or a title. Yeah. And I keep a notebook of lyrical ideas. And then oftentimes there'll be a moment where the melody and the lyric just sort of combine in my brain yeah and often it's difficult for me to translate what's in my brain to the physical world and i really find those chords i could hear the melody in my head but i can't always like work out what it is on a guitar and so uh other times i'll be i'll be playing the guitar and i'll i'll come up with a melody and then i'll go through my book of ideas and see if something kind of jumps into place and yeah, finds yeah, its sure. finds its way into that that melody and then of course you know when i collaborate with other people more often than not i'm presented with an idea that's already sort of worked out i see a melody and a title has already been put together songs like as long as it matters and follow you down are very good examples of that where I'm, it's my job to complete somebody else's mm, sure yeah construction and so that's a whole different ball game yeah yeah it is uh, but i i've been very successful at that uh till i hear it from you is another good example where i was presented the the chords were already done the chorus was already written and I had to work backwards to to tell the story of what the chorus was trying to say. Sure. Yeah. And um, I think uh, yeah, that, that's a good example of where I think I did a pretty good job of completing somebody else's thought. 
Hmm. Sure. Who do you read and who do you listen to that inspires you to, or, or gives you the the confidence? Because I find it really intimidating to write lyrics just because there are so many people that do it well. Who do you listen to that have inspired you lyrically? Well, certainly Tom Petty and Rick Nielsen are probably at the top of the lyricists that uh, I aspire to. But uh, other good examples would be uh, Jim Carroll. Uh, mm -hmm. I think uh, mm. Jim Carroll probably wrote, you know, didn't make a lot of records, but probably wrote some of the best ever lyrics. And then uh, another good example of, of one of my favorite songwriters would be Rick Ocasek of The Cars. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, no question. And yeah. what he does, you know, it's lyrically, it's, it's gibberish. It really is. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it makes you, it makes you feel something very very specific and you i i always get what he's going for regardless of whether or not it makes any sense uh michael stipe is another good example of that you can barely understand him uh, the, the the lyrics are, are are gibberish and incoherent but yeah but you you are locked into the emotions that he wants you to feel and so that's always been sort of my touchstone as a lyricist is that it, it doesn't necessarily have to make sense. It just needs to make you feel yeah. where, where I'm trying to get you emotionally. And, you know, that's, that's always sort of been my touchstone. Rick, Rick Ocasek really is such a great example of that. Look at John Lennon come together. Mm. You know? Well, yeah. yeah. That's all gibberish. I am yeah. the walrus. Simulina Pelchard, yeah. He was a master at it, yeah. Well, I think, too, to, to that point, you know, I was really first introduced to you guys when I was uh, working radio, you know, 30 years ago when, when New Miserable was really starting to hit. And the, the thing that was interesting at the time is, you know, that was when alternative music and grunge and all that stuff was really, you know, going mainstream. And you guys were, were certainly not, your sound wasn't... Uh, grunge but somehow some way you kind of get thrown into that whole 90s music revolution really but the songs not all those band songs have stood the test of time you know what i mean and some of them were better than others and some of them have but looking back on that you know it, it's interesting to hear you say the replacements and the cars because they all that all makes sense but during that time was it kind of tough for you guys to kind of find you know your place amongst that everything else that was going on i mean obviously you succeeded but was that kind of a, almost kind of a strange place to start in a, in a way, right? I mean, it seemed like. Well, yeah, it, it was timing, really, you know, because what was, what was really happening at the time was, uh, was not only grunge, but things like uh, Smashing Pumpkins, um, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so to, to most of what was happening uh, in the early 90s on the radio was, was a little harder edged than right. what we were doing. Yeah. And uh, but we we never succumbed. We, we we never chased after trends. We just always followed our own instincts. Right. And that's kind of what I mean. It was interesting because in hindsight, I remember the same people that listened to Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, Pearl Jam, Nirvana. They also listened to the Gin Blossoms. And I remember thinking it's just kind of interesting because you guys you guys were just so different. But it was interesting how your appeal reached everybody. <laughs> and, and more so than where the, a lot of those guys, as great as they were, you know, they weren't necessarily appealing to as wide of a, a wide of a, a range of, of people. And in a lot of ways. Sure. I'll go back again to Tom Petty and Cheap Trick mm -hmm. as uh, sort of 
the foundations of our inspiration and and maybe if what we're doing is uh, swimming in those bands wake then uh it it makes sense that we would have a broad appeal your music didn't carry with it the same kind of angst and and well grunge is by its very nature kind of brooding your stuff as i was saying at the top of our conversation is, is really up in the sense that it's it's inspiring it's hopeful it now, despite the lyrics being interestingly melancholy sometimes, by contrast, there's no shame in having a great, whether it's the Beatles or the people we're talking about, having a, a good pop, successful and well-structured and well-crafted pop element to what you do, and you guys have that. And well-produced and well-performed. Yeah. The tracks are always great. We always like to talk about uh, album artwork, and I'll let Hugh drive the ship on this one, but I got to ask a question. So... Before we talked to you, I was just doing some Google stuff on, on you and looking at your, your history and everything. I noticed a picture of you in an Iron Maiden t-shirt. <laughs> so are you an Iron Maiden fan? Because Hugh did one of their album covers, so I got to ask yes. if you're a Maiden fan. I'm a huge Maiden fan. Uh, okay. uh, uh, yeah, but Power Slave is probably in my top 10 all-time favorite records. It's one of the most listenable and consistent albums of of all time from beginning to end power slave is uh, is one of my favorites and uh, yeah i just i love that band i recently discovered on youtube a uh, iron maiden concert from like 1984 85 or whatever and it's just just so incredible and it's just mm -hmm. so impressive to see a band uh performing at that level of mm -hmm. Uh, of uh, skill it's right. you know i mean what we do is pretty good and you know yeah there's guitars and there's everybody's everybody's playing an instrument and we're all cooperating to create a sound but you, you watch an iron maiden concert and you just see people operating uh, at, at such an incredibly high skill level mm -hmm. and uh, the the level of energy plus the lead singer flies flies the plane to the to the gig so i mean that's something you need to aspire to too i think and it needs to be a gin blossom absolutely plane, absolutely uh the closest i come is to, you know <laughs> i i ride a skateboard uh you know so uh <laughs> but yes, Iron Maiden uh, is one of my one of my all time favorite bands. Which which album yeah. cover is it that you did, Hugh? Well, that's the uh, well, I'll say irony. I won't say misfortune, but when Gene approached me to do the Revenge cover for Kiss, I thought, oh, it's lovely to be working with that that band. But that they took their makeup off, I knew instinctively wasn't probably a great idea. It was a good album. It was a fabulous album. But it was the one album where the fans said, what the fuck? You know, why, why are you not wearing your makeup? <laughs> and in the same way that yeah. Megadeth was so similarly dependent on or, or reliant on the, the fan base's approval of their covers being illustrated, whether it was Eddie or Vic Rattlehead, uh, Megadeth decided they would just want to go a different direction. And again, I thought, well, this is it's a big crapshoot, but they were successful when we did euthanasia and countdown to extinction and those covers when we did those covers it worked for them people weren't there was no outcry well where's vic rattlehead you know why why isn't vic featured on the cover so maiden came to me and they were they, they disclosed the fact that they wanted to kind of do a more grown-up approach and some people loved it and some people really there was an outcry that you know it was a travesty that it wasn't another derek illustration you know so I get that, and I, I understand, and I appreciate when a band becomes defensive and protective of their art director, as did Rush for 46 years. 
um, yeah, uh, it was th- that cover. It was the X Factor cover. That's great. Well, I, I have a great deal of respect for that aspect of your career. I've, you know, the, the covers have always been a very important to me. I haven't always had a hand in them, but when whenever I do, I like to have control over that. And it, it's uh, it's one of the more rewarding aspects of my work is collaborating with artists on the album cover. That's one of the questions I always like to ask is how involved do artists, you know, some artists don't care. They, you know, they, and some bands are just by their very nature, they're attractive. They want to be on the cover. So it's always about the personality being on the cover. Whereas mm-hmm. you guys have got, you've got a little zany Jetson vibe going on with mixed reality. Yeah. You've got a really, you know, very fifties kind of feel. And you've also got that outside looking in cover, really a lovely study and focus. And then the back cover, I can't quite tell what that is, but I love, I love intriguing piles of enigmatic junk, you know, yeah, lit the way that was. I think that's a beautiful Beautiful cover. Cool. Thank you. Uh, that, well, that one actually was done without our knowledge. The record company put together a, a greatest hits compilation, and we didn't even know it was coming out. And all of a sudden, it, it was out, and that was cover. And I was kind of pissed off about it. Like, you know, what right do these people have to release Jim Blossom's record without even consulting us about the cover? But I think it, it worked. Sometimes it's a happy accident. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, with Mixed Reality, I'm glad you brought that one up because that cover is my pride and joy. It's cool. And it's cool. I, I, I worked very closely with the art team on that. Mitch O'Connell is a, is a fantastic artist. He designed this tattoo for me, this crown phoenix. And uh, he also designed a Jim Blossom's t-shirt. And when it, when it came time to do the cover for Mixed Reality, I, I had the idea, I already had the name, and I had the idea that it should be like a, a tin can full of some unknowable substance or a box of cereal called Mixed Reality. Or I didn't really know what, what it was, but I wanted it to look like a package. And so I called Mitch and I'm like, do you know a graphic artist that I can work with? And he turned us on uh, to Joseph, who did the uh, did all the graphics. And in discussing it with Mitch, I said, you know what? Maybe we need is some sort of a character for the for the packaging. You know, some some cross between the the tricks rabbit and uh, <laughs> you know yeah. the Lucky Charms guy or something like that. And uh, so, you know, Mitch and I uh, had a short discussion about that. He went off and designed that little UFO girl. And Mitch, he always adds a little something special. Like with my Phoenix tattoo, he put a crown on it. Um, Mm. And with the uh, with the character from Mixed Reality, whose name, by the way, is Eddie. Uh, If you're going to put a character on an album cover you have to name it eddie eddie's, so, good. eddie's good eddie's yeah. good yeah. so uh in uh for the mixed reality cover uh mitch gave eddie our eddie a uh, a little uh a little phonograph and some 45s that she's holding and that that, nice. that helps give it the, that retro feel that we were going for and uh you know in working with mitch and joseph on that cover you know i kept saying well what should it what should the product inside this box be is it is it cereal or is it mixed nuts or whatever and those two joseph and and mitch 
decided it should just be some kind of MacGuffin. We don't really need to yeah, know yeah. what's mm. what's in the package. Right. Um, so the ingredients are listed, though heartache compromises. You know, it's yeah. pretty cool that they're there. Yeah. I'm intrigued with the fact that it covers those. I, I love that era of. First of all, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to admit, but you know, having been a fan of Bewitched and and Jetsons when I was younger. You know, this cover. Hey, that. I was too, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great cover. I love it. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Well, it was it was such a pleasure uh, putting it together. And again, you know, that's an aspect of my career that I've enjoyed so much—the opportunity to collaborate with uh, with real artists. And you know, I was always drawn to art. I was I've always been into graphic arts. And in a, in another life or an alternate universe, I probably am am an artist of some type, probably a graphic artist. So I I really enjoy that that process of of collaborating with someone where you you have the core of an idea, and you get someone who's really talented to help you flesh it out. And they always bring something uh, special. Uh, to to the process and bring give you something that you didn't know it needed and uh, you know you get also it's really important when you're working with people at at that talent level to eventually realize there's a moment where you have to just stop interfering and let them sort of finish it for you let them do what they do yeah my kind of client <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I go at it a couple of ways. I mean, there's collaboration, but I also had a habit of disappearing for six weeks and then coming back with the finished product. As a as a record store employee and as someone coming up in your own experience as a younger person, and maybe even to this day, how influenced were you by covers? How intrigued were you with the artwork on covers before you even heard the music? Well, uh, always. Uh, you know, I mean, I suppose it started you know, pretty early, you know, things like billion dollar babies, mm -hmm, right. uh, such a, such a great album cover. And you're just, you're drawn to it and you can see how, oh, yeah, this is, this is supposed to kind of be a wallet. Um, you know I mean? From, you can hold it back and it's just sort of an abstract piece of graphic art, but you know, then you realize, Oh, this is, this is supposed to be something else. And then of course, you know, just like staring at those those Kiss album covers, you know, Destroyer yeah. and Love Gun, just mm. like, just so, uh, just sucked into that fantasy world that those those bands were creating. And are you a Floyd fan? I yes, yes. They were they were never like my my brother always had Floyd records, and so they were always around, and I was always listening to them, but I, I never had to go buy them, and I was. I was more listening to Queen than I was yeah. uh, Floyd, but you know, of course, they're they're in the mix for sure. And those covers, you know, of course, the Wall uh, Animals, you know, those are those are yeah. such intriguing uh, ideas, and they're they're just sort of, especially like Animals, it's just so confusing right. and uh, just a, just a lovely piece of uh, abstraction and you know kind of moving on in in my working at the record stores you know covers from bands like rem really mm -hmm. made uh an impression and now looking back i feel like they weren't really trying that hard you know uh when it, when it came to the covers but sometimes that's the beauty i mean whether it's 
the Who Live at Leeds or the Cheeky, and only the Beatles could have gotten away with the White Album. But sometimes the humbling truth for someone like me is that there's a point at which you say, fuck art and let's dance. So the music is what needs to matter, but there's nothing wrong with packaging music effectively. And of course, I have a great deal of fun doing it, but I like to think it's not a necessary quotient or or contributor to the fact that good music stands on its own. I I would agree. When we got signed to A&M, they they absolutely insisted that we put a photograph of the band on the external packaging. And I was like, I don't don't really want that. I'd rather have it be something more abstract. I don't think we need a picture. And they, A&M, the product manager we were working with at the time, was was adamant you've got to have a picture of the band on the cover and i think that's complete uh, bullshit you do not need a picture of the band on the cover in the end it's not too important what the cover is it's always comes down to the songs mm-hmm. yeah i agree i agree yep. absolutely so i got some questions on the live side so as a fan and obviously you're a big fan of music judging about the tattoos what was the first show that you went to as a fan that you were like excited about. I, I love being able to say this. My first concert ever was in 1977. I saw Cheap Trick open for Kiss on the Love Gun tour. Awesome! And nice. So that was that was the, that was the first concert I ever saw. Wow! And then uh, uh, you know, then like my dad took me to see the Beach Boys sometime around then. Uh, my mom took me to see Jimmy Buffett sometime in that era. But then the next concert I actually bought tickets for myself. Uh, was Queen uh, on the on the jazz tour, and the mm. Blasters were the opening act uh, for for that show. Yeah, where, where were these shows at? Uh, in in Phoenix, uh, the Queen show was at Compton Terrace. Uh, Kiss and Cheap Trick. That was Veterans Memorial Coliseum. You know, and so you you grow up in Phoenix. You're listening to the radio, and you hear that coming to Veterans Memorial Coliseum. You know, <laughs> it's triumph or whatever, and. Um, there was a moment where, you know, we had been out on tour and everything took off for us. And I came home to Phoenix and I'm in my car and I turn on the radio and it's like coming to Veterans Memorial Coliseum, June Blossoms. And I was like, oh, oh holy, holy <laughs> shit. Just, what a, what a full circle moment, you know, oh, to, yeah. to have That's that. That's great, and, man. You know, it was really special. I saw so many great concerts at that venue, um, one of my favorites ever, uh, Def Leppard. Um, mm-hmm. and they were actually the, sure. they were the support act for Billy Squire on that no, tour. Dear. But, but uh-huh. everyone was there to see Def Leppard. Yeah. And um, this was right when Photograph was uh, the number one song in America. And they were really taken off. Uh, Pyromania, such a great record. And, uh, you know, I was there plenty early because I wanted to be on the floor right next to the stage for that Def Leppard show. And, uh, you know, then certainly working at Tower Records, we get free tickets to concerts all the time. So, you know, I saw a lot of arena shows in the in the 80s. Uh, ZZ Top, uh, Scorpions with Aerosmith and Autograph. Uh, ACDC, uh, saw, I saw Yngwie Malmsteen open for ACDC. Uh, that was one of my one of my favorites. Uh, buddy of mine, we 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 got tickets. We went to see the new kids on the block. You know, it's mm-hmm. like oh. <laughs> oh wow. We just wanted to be at concerts all the time. That's all you know. I tell my son that's all we did. You know, between the ages of like 
18 and 22, it was just, there was just so much music in my world. I was working at the record store. I was writing songs in my bedroom and doing open mic nights, going to see local bands, going to concerts constantly and, you know, club shows, you know, every once in a while you'd see, uh, you know, like Jonathan Richmond is coming to the Mason jar. Like, Oh, I got, I got to, I got to yeah. be there for yeah. that. You know, uh, I saw Los Lobos on their, on their first U S tour. And, um, you know, it was just music, music, music. That's all, that's all I did, you know? And at the same time I was in college and I was studying physics at the time. And I, 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 I didn't know if I would ever become a real musician. I had never been in a band at this point. So I was, uh, I was headed towards a life in science, but, you know, outside of my schoolwork, it was just all music all the time. And, um, you know, all that pays off when all of a sudden you actually find yourself in a band and you need to, you know, draw from your, your own influences and taste to, uh, to present your band. And I was just really fortunate that I had this huge mishmash of uh, influences and uh, records in my collection. And I was, uh, you know, again, I've always kind of steered towards the cheap trick, uh, power pop kind of avenue. But, you know, being able to to know in the back of my head, oh, this is kind of like an Iron Maiden bridge, or you could you could take... Uh, some of their concepts for how they arrange their songs and apply sure. it to what you're doing uh, for intros and bridges and uh, endings and things like that. It was it's it was always great to turn uh, you know to your influences and say, oh, we'll just we'll take this bridge that Tom Petty did and that'll be the intro for our song or whatever. And uh, you know that kind of thing. Uh, that that really works, you know. Yeah, well, it, yeah. it gives you a it gives you a deeper well to to dip yeah. out of to for your own stuff. I Absolutely. mean, plus watching those shows, you can see, you know, how pacing works during a show, you know. Yeah, and all that yeah. kind of stuff too. So yes, yeah. it's refreshing to hear you say that too, because I think a lot of you know. A lot of people that are in the music are pretty pretty much snobs uh, for the most part, especially guys that work in record stores. I mean, let's face it. But it's refreshing to hear you say that about like new kids and stuff. I've always said like there's something great about just going and experiencing live entertainment. You know, it's some of the, like I think about this one tour uh, we did with uh, Ricky Martin, and I'm not particularly listening to that kind of music personally, but I'll never forget how awesome the beginning of the show was. There was a full car on stage bands going crazy and the, the 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 hood of the car slowly starts to lift open and then slowly ricky just pops up you know oh, from the ground in the car and the I'm chicks like, were screaming oh yeah. man i was like wow. i bet they were yeah, yeah, when they I was, were going cuckoo yeah man i but, had that idea yeah. actually back when i was a kid and i was dreaming about being in a band i had this fantasy that the band would drive into the coliseum each guy had their own custom van and we would rise out of the top of our custom vans wow there you go. um and that it's was never always, too late that was always my my fantasy and so to this day our our guitar player jesse uh he's he's got a little joke when we're, we're heading to the stage he doesn't say it all the time but every once in a while he'll say all right let's storm the stage in custom vans yeah, you know? and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> great and it's, I love just, it. it's great that you know my you know when i told him that story you know 32 years ago or whatever mm -hmm. 
that that it it stuck you know with him and uh you know he could always fly in on the rocket ship from mixed reality and yeah, <laughs> love that. Yeah. sure uh yeah. i used to sometimes like uh when we were out on a package tour or something i'd have my skateboard and i would if i would be tasked with introducing one of the other bands i would ride my skateboard up out onto the stage so that's about as close as they ever came. it's as close as you got to the van that's cool though <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> well awesome we don't want to take up any more of your time we really appreciate you giving us some time yeah we walk- do <laughs> <laughs> walking down uh, memory lane with you for sure well it's it's been a lot of fun you know i enjoy, I enjoy talking uh, with me too with other rock fans about all these things i've got one question do you guys have a new project in the works a good question um no nothing scheduled you know we're starting to put together songs and i've told the band i'd like to have a plan by the end of this year i want to know when we're making our next record i've already got a cool. few songs in the can i will be making a record at some point uh, in the next year with the smithereens and so oh, cool. uh, most of my songwriting nice. energies are kind of directed towards that I've been uh, co-writing some songs with Jim Babjack, lead guitar of the Smithereens, and mm. he's a he's a fantastic songwriter. He really is. And uh, uh, Denisio had a pretty heavy hand, and so Jim didn't get a lot of songs on Smithereens records. So uh, he's he's raring to go and ready to spread his wings. And he's as as someone that I can collaborate with. It's That's really great. a joy to work with him. He's presented me with some really cool ideas. He's already got the chords and the and the song titles worked out. In some cases, entire choruses. And you know, again, it falls to me to help like flesh out the story that he's he's trying to tell sure yeah and so uh i'm i'm looking forward to uh, to that I, I, you know again as a as a fan a, there's no way to describe the amount of joy i have uh being a part of the smithereens now yeah. and storming the stage with that band uh it's just it's just so great it's just such a thrill um i know the music so well and the guys, the Smithereens are such great guys. They're, they just have such uh, true blue rock and roll hearts, really spirited performances. And it's fun to be a part of a band that uh, has this incredible catalog of music. And we go out and we do this show that has all this legacy and whatnot, but I'm not carrying around any of the baggage that right. these poor fuckers are carrying around you know it's right. been a bloody time yeah. 40 years of the smithereens and you know there's a weariness uh to sure. them and because they've they've been through it all and it's just it's always been a battle for them and i get to show up and just go hey you, you get know, to sing the songs and have a good i get time. to bounce yeah. around and it's yeah. just you know i and i and i see in their eyes you know that just all the all the bloody battles they had to fight to keep the band together and to to get to this point and for me it's just like uh pour pour a bourbon and let's fucking rock yeah, guys right. you know it's there's no i don't have to carry any of the weight but i get to participate in all of the satisfying aspects of uh, performing with with a group that has that legacy and such a solid catalog of of music it's just an absolute joy That's so awesome. i will be playing with them soon in new york city at sony hall both marshall crenshaw and wow. i will mm-hmm. be there fronting the band 
uh, for this for this show. We talked to Marshall about uh, two months ago. Yeah, he gets most of the gigs because Jim Lawson's keep getting in the way of my fucking side project. It's very <laughs> aggravating. <laughs> Damn it! That's a good place to be <laughs> in, though. You know, it's like that's, yeah. a, that's an okay it's place not, to be. Not a bad place to be. Yeah, not awesome. not at all bad. I'm I'm very grateful, very proud. I'm 56 years old now. I've wanted to be a rock singer since that night in the third grade, eight years old, when I saw Queen on the Midnight Special. And so for it to pay off, uh, you know, just to have been able to follow that path and just stay, uh, stay true to, uh, you know, to my own journey and for it to pay off like this is just immensely satisfying. And I'm, I'm just so grateful. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to keep doing it as, as long as I can. You know? Well, you've put the work in, man, so you deserve it. Thank you. Congrats. So God bless you. For sure. Thank you very Keep much. Keep rocking, man. Thank you. Well, I just want to show yeah. off a couple of my tattoos here. Yeah, uh, please my do. My Stones tattoo is this uh, War Children. It's just a shot away. Nice. Here nice. is uh, the the cult. She sells Sanctuary. Right. And nice. over here is, this is a Meat Puppets quote. Uh, this is Paradise. Uh, right here, the waiting is it's the, the hardest, hardest part. part. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Surrender, but don't give yourself away. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. And this, by the way, is the signature of Chrissy Hines. We did a show, a couple of shows with nice. the Sanders, oh, cool, yeah. and I got her to sign my arm. One of the greatest singers of all time, and I uh, went straight to a tattoo parlor the next day and, <laughs> and had that in there. So uh, very nice. You know, I'm That's just great. I got a Blood and Roses uh, tattoo here when I started working with the Smithereens, yeah. and then back here, uh, uh, David Bowie. It's kind of hard to read because it's just such a beautiful piece. But it's uh, turn and face the strange changes. Turn and face the strange yeah. changes. Uh, one of nice. one of the great lyrics of of all time, and my personal divorce mantra uh, okay. that uh, I uh, <laughs> that I had to uh, embrace while I was in the gloom of all of that. But uh, yeah. I, this is definitely one of the one of the best ones I have. Turn and That's face great. the strange changes. That's awesome. You know, it's just it's all it's all right there. This is who I am, and uh, this this is the. The most important aspect of my life is, has been uh, rock and roll music, and uh, I'm very lucky to, to do what I do. And you do it so well. Yeah. Yeah. Keep doing it, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Yeah. Best wishes. We'll see you down the road. Take care. All right, guys. This has been a great time hanging out with you. Uh, peace and love, everybody. Rock away. See you. Yeah. Take care. Cheers, Robin. Bye, Robin. See you, man. Dream stealing.